right now, at this very moment, as I speak, multiplied millions of people around the world are caught up in what the Word of God calls the great falling away or great apostasy. You and I are living in it right now. The collective church and myriad purporting quote-unquote Christians desperately need to be shaken out of its, their, spiritual slumber to the irrefutable reality that we are right now, in the year 2018, in the very midst of the greatest time of apostasy and falling away from the true God and His truth in human history, doctrinal deviation, degeneration, and denigration is a perilous path leading not to genuine unity of the Spirit, as posited by its propagators, but rather disunity with the Holy Spirit. It leads to apostasy, perdition, and ultimately hell itself. Stay tuned as I begin to unpack, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the real truth about the perilous path of doctrinal deviation. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God, he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal, affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ is our purpose. Friends, the subject of today's program is one of the most serious and somber topics we could possibly address. Right now, at this very moment, as I speak, multiplied millions of people around the world are caught up in what Jesus himself, along with the New Testament writers, prophesied and predicted would be a great falling away or apostasy. The collective church and myriad individual purporting quote-unquote Christians desperately need to be shaken out of its, their, spiritual lethargy and slumber to the reality that we are right now in the year 2018 in the very midst of the greatest time of apostasy and falling away in human history from the genuine faith elucidated in the Bible. While the collective church experienced what theologians and church historians have identified as a massive corporate falling away or apostasy during what is known as the Dark Ages, and that certainly was true, nevertheless, the Word of God 
categorically identifies a great falling away or great apostasy that will transpire in the very last days just prior to the catching up or rapture of the genuine church Jesus is building, which event shall be followed immediately by the revelation and activation, if you will, of the ultimate Antichrist, who will be the devil incarnate and who will orchestrate apocalyptic destructions upon the earth and, quote, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, end quote. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. The revelation or unveiling of the Antichrist has not yet occurred, but it certainly is only moments away on the clock of end times events. The Apostle Paul prophesied of this great falling away or apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 in his prophetic delineation of the last day's events, wherein referring to, quote, the day of the Lord, end quote, which is the day of the judgment of Christ upon the unbelieving world, he stated, quote, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, that is, the day of the Lord, will not come unless, or until, the apostasy, NASB, or falling away, it says in the King James Version, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, meaning the Antichrist, end quote. So he is saying that the great apostasy will precede the revelation of the ultimate Antichrist, who has not yet, in this hour in which we are living, been revealed as the Antichrist, though the man who will one day assume that role as the devil himself comes to possess him is almost certainly alive at this very moment here as I speak. Millions of those claiming to be Christians in America and other nations around the world are really nothing but what could be called senos, Christians in name only. They claim to be worshipers and followers of Jesus, but the quote-unquote Jesus they are worshiping and following is not the Jesus of the Bible the genuine Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and God the Son, the second member of the Godhead, but rather a counterfeit, a religious idol that is in reality a demon named Jesus, masquerading as the genuine Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 8, 4, the Apostle Paul said, quote, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, end quote. But rather, what is behind idols or false objects of worship and veneration is really demons. There is a demonic power and perhaps a principality 
that is being worshipped by multitudes today throughout the world that is not the real Jesus Christ, who was the Word of God made flesh, God in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, who cast aside his deity in order to take on the appearance of a man, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2.8, and humbled himself, even under the point of death, even death on a cross, who miraculously arose from the dead, and who ascended into heaven on the day of the ascension from the Mount of Ascension, which moment Luke described thusly, quote, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, end quote, Acts 1.9, and subsequently sat down, at the right hand of God, reclaiming his throne of dominion and sovereignty. You're listening to The Real Truth Podcast. Other episodes of the podcast can be found at realtruthradio.com. So I want to talk about heretics and heretical teaching. The Apostle Paul is saying here in this scripture I just read, 1 Timothy 6, 2 through 5, he's saying that people who corrupt the Word of God and concoct contrary teachings, or who, in other words, denigrate doctrine, do so because their minds are void of the truth and have become corrupted or depraved by perverse thoughts of self-gratification and selfish gain. In his letter to Titus, the Apostle Paul was a little more terse and direct concerning the ulterior motivation of an heretic, as it reads in King James Version, and how such a person is to be dealt with. It says, reject a factious man, an heretic, after a first and second warning knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned, Titus 3.10. The Greek word translated an heretic in the King James Version and a factious man in the New American Standard Version literally means a self-opinionated man, meaning a person who lives by and constantly asserts his own self-willed opinions, rather than living and advocating the will and thoughts of God, as revealed by the Word of God. We are straightforwardly told to, quote-unquote, reject such a person, knowing, it says, quote-unquote, knowing, not merely speculating, suspecting, or improperly judging, but knowing that such a person is perverted and is sinning, and knowing also that it is not we who are condemning him, but rather that he is self-condemned, that is, condemning himself by his own stubborn, self-willed perversion of the Word of God and outright sinful actions and attitudes against others. 
I'm going to read from Romans 16, 17 through 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, I beseech you, brethren, mark them, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Now there's people today that want to mark people. They're blackballing people. But they want to mark people for various reasons and for mostly political reasons, preachers against preachers. They want to mark them for reasons that aren't the proper reasons, just because they might be preaching things contrary to what they like. They might be calling them out as being false preachers or teachers. And they tell their followers, mark them. But here's what should be defining how we mark people. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the doctrine. Again, We've been talking about that all throughout this teaching. The doctrine. There is such a thing in the Bible as the doctrine. It's the doctrine of the Bible, which ye have learned. It's the doctrine which ye have learned. What people have learned over the course of centuries, over 2,000 years. It's the doctrine which ye have learned. And avoid them. Avoid those people that are speaking things that are contrary to the doctrine that's found in the Bible. Now, I want to talk about the imperativeness of sound doctrine. Thus, we see in all this that we've been discussing that doctrine is far from being the optional and odious thing some people make it out to be. Much to the contrary, it is absolutely vital that every believer ensure beyond any doubt that his life is squarely and solidly built upon the foundation stone of sound doctrine or correct teaching. Every believer, and especially ministers, are exhorted to, quote, in all things, show yourselves to be an example in good deeds with purity in doctrine. End quote. Titus 2.7 The marginal reading for the word purity in this verse is soundness. And the literal meaning, which is used in the King James Version, is uncorruptedness. The message of the passage is clear. All believers should be an example, both in good deeds and sound doctrine, or uncorrupted teaching. To attain unto this objective, we must give heed unto another exhortation from Jesus to us all, related through the Apostle Paul's words to his associate Timothy. And... This passage is in 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching, or doctrine. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, your doctrine. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself 
and for those who hear you. So that doesn't sound to me like Scripture is telling us that doctrine is not important. Not at all. Not by a long shot. Now, as we move on, it is important to understand that this section was not merely a time-consuming tangent. Rather, the vital point being established here is that true unity can never be attained by means of doctrinal deviation, denigration, and demeanment. To put it another way, traveling the crooked path of doctrinal denigration will never transport you to the destination of real unity. On the contrary, sound doctrine, which is the Word of God, is the only path to true peace and unity. For Christ Jesus himself, the Word made flesh, is our peace. Are you enjoying this podcast? Would you take just a minute to think about all the precious resources it takes to produce and make available a resource such as this? Time, talent, thinking, planning, preparing, studying, writing, editing, organizing, recording, audio editing, a multiplicity of post-production and publishing tasks, and on and on it goes. The big professional news and media companies employ 10 to 20 people to produce a presentation such as this podcast at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you enjoy the program, would you be so kind as to take a minute and pray to ask God if He would have you lend a helping hand our way in the form of financial support? In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash S-L-M-I-N-C to make a donation of any amount. Your gifts would be so greatly appreciated and used for the glory of God in the production of this program. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you abundantly for your generosity and graciousness.
Now, let me address what I call the equilibrium of spirit and truth. The equilibrium of spirit and truth, a very important thing. We have today in many Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal circles and churches a tendency to not properly regard truth in favor of, they say, quote, the things of the Spirit, end quote, as if the truth is not a thing of the Spirit. This attitude is a tremendous mistake which carries the potential for major problems. In our quest to operate in the fullest potential available to us of the power of God and to have unhindered demonstrations of the power of God, there are those both now and in prior moves who contend that some groups are so excessively concerned about doing things biblically and according to proper order, that they have ordered the Spirit of God right out of their churches. You'll hear people say that. I've heard people say that. Of course, it is regrettably true that many of our churches, which have a heritage rich in operating in the Spirit and power of God, have now regressed into dead formalism and religious ritualism. Nevertheless, it is pure folly to attribute that to some sort of excess with regard to biblical doctrine. In fact, precisely the opposite is true. Biblical teaching promotes demonstration of the spirit and power of God in our midst. When the truth is being taught, the Holy Spirit desires to corroborate that truth with signs and wonders following. You can read that in Mark sixteen twenty. Sound doctrine never impedes or in any way inhibits demonstration of the Spirit. It is not the truth that kills, but the letter or religion, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. It's the letter that kills not truth. The truth liberates and gives life rather than restricting and killing it. Dead churches became dead as a result of having digressed from abiding in the truth and having regressed into dead religious works. Jesus said God was seeking a church of true worshipers and that true worship was worship in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit and truth. John 4, 23 through 24. In other words, true worship is worship in which the spirit and truth are at perfect equilibrium. The English word worship is a contraction of two words, worth and ship. And that word deals with quantity and quality of honor, devotion, deference, reverence, veneration. Worship of God is at bottom 
the act of expressing to God the quality and quantity of the worth we attribute to him in our heart. True worshipers worship God in the spirit and, and, and. The word and is a conjunction. And in the truth, simultaneously, with proper and equal quality and quantity attributed to each. When there is an imbalance or false balance of these two components, it is, as we've discussed previously, an abomination to God. And the result is error and errancy. The spirit and the truth are the two primary equilibrant and counterbalancing forces of the kingdom of God. Manifested in their proper weight, they perfectly counterbalance one another, achieving perfect equilibrium. The equiunion, or union in equal measure, of these two spiritual forces produces the ultimate superatomic spiritual power. Thus, in this case, when they're equal, instead of incurring the curse of God, as with the abomination of a false balance, as the Bible says, a false balance is a curse, brings a curse, it's an abomination, you incur the exact opposite. His approval, God's approval, and resultant free flow of his unrestrained blessings. Unfortunately, however, there has yet to be a movement in which the church has successfully achieved such an equal union of these two forces in which the spirit and the truth are at equilibrium. But rather, the church itself invariably brought about the eventual cessation of each former move by imposing an imbalance of either one element or the other, either majoring on manifesting spiritual power while neglecting some portion and measure of the truth, or vice versa. However, the final climactic move of God on the planet which will incorporate the most awesome and unprecedented display of supernatural power in the history of the world and culminate in the catching up of the bride by the bridegroom will be precipitated by the first ever achievement of this equiunion. And in that master movement, the spirit and the truth shall converge together in precisely equal weight and balance, perfect counterbalance, achieving exact equilibrium. Then, when that occurs, when Jesus is truly the central figure and focus of the church and is flanked by 
Moses, the prophet of the unchangeable law and the word of God, that is the truth, and by Elijah, the prophet of power, that is the spirit, each in their proper place, one on the right hand, the other on the left hand of Jesus, the centerpiece of the kingdom of God, the transfiguration of the church into the kingdom and spirit realm finally can and will transpire. Now, for scriptural evidence of what I just said, you should jot down these scriptures and read them. Luke 9, 27 through 36, Zechariah, the fourth chapter, and Revelation 11, 4 and 6. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.